Today we're going to look at a, might be a familiar story to you all of what happened to the nobleman in Galilee. And um, we start really after a discourse. A few lessons have been already taught. Chapter 4 is a pretty long chapter. But there's a few things that the Lord has already taught uh, before this time. But here in John chapter 4, verse 46, we'll start and we'll read to verse 54. John chapter 4, verse 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him, and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going... Down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which, or yes, in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, assembled in your name. Father, we pray your blessings upon your almighty and holy word. Father, that you may use it to accomplish all your will. And Father, we'll lift and praise you, for thou art worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a very simple message this morning, and I promise I will not keep you till 2 o'clock, but uh, uh, it will be one of those things that I, I would love to have all of your attention this morning, and it, because the, it, the, simple, the story may be simple, the message may be simple, but you know that we see mighty truth, almighty and profound truth within the story of the nobleman. And what we know about the noblemen, we may find reference to ourselves today. There may be something that the Lord wants to speak to you about in this, in this story of the noblemen. What do we know about the noblemen? Well, first of all, in verse 46, it talks about this nobleman, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, the word nobleman in the Greek, what it typically means is a man well-born. A nobleman in this time, in this culture, in this place, meant kingly or belonging to a king. This person would have had a position in the, the king's court or uh, an official position. This man was well-off. He had a great, great career. But despite all that, despite all this advantage that he had, this earthly success, he had a son who was sick. Now, this son who was sick, we also know that this son was at the point of death and also had a very high fever. 
And that's what it says in verse 52, that the seventh hour, the fever left him. So this illness we see is at a point of death. Now, one of the things that we can go ahead and assume in verse 46, it, it just tells us where Jesus was in Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. There was this certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee. One of the things that we can go ahead and assume is that this nobleman already had information about who Jesus was. Because when his son is sick, he goes to seek Jesus. Many times when we preach the word of God, teach the word of God, or lifestyle witness, you know, I, I was thinking about those that were at camp last week who heard the gospel the whole week, how that seed is being sown. And this nobleman had a seed that was sown. We're not sure who told the nobleman about Jesus. We just know that when he heard about Jesus, he went to Jesus. And it's interesting that we see this because that has been the lesson up until this point which Jesus is teaching. Just come back with me a little bit to verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereupon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. So we sow the seed of, the, the, of God, and we may not see results. We may not see instant results, but the seed is there. The seed was there in the nobleman. And not only does he want to not only just encourage us from the word of God that we are to be laborers in the Lord's field with sowing and reaping and, and as Paul said, planting and watering, that we are not to just be idle. We're not to be in a corner all by ourselves and just, you know, uh, shut off from the whole world. We are to go out with the word of God and we are to sow, we are to plant, we are to do these things and show forth the light. You know, you, you, if, if you're... If your house is not dark, you know, you're not going to see the light too much. But if you go out into a dark world, that's where your light shines. And uh, so he reiterates this point with the Samaritan woman. Remember, now this is kind of, there's a few things that have been interwoven in here. But in verse 39, uh, Jesus had just talked to the Samaritan woman. And she went to Samaria and she started spreading that, hey, I found a Jesus who knows, every, knows everything that is about me is not this the Christ. That was in verse 29 and verse 30. She beckoned the other Samaritans to come. She's sowing the seed and maybe not even realize she's sowing the seed of Christ. In verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that, ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, 
They besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So I wanted to take this opportunity to give us a little bit of background before the nobleman, and to also incorporate all the labor that we have in the Lord is not in vain. That seed that you sow, that's going to land, that may land on a ground that God may not germinate and bring to fruition. You may not see it in your lifetime, but you've been faithful. You've been faithful to sow the word. And what did the Samaritan woman, she, she just says, come and see. And that's what a testimony is. Come and see what the Lord has done for me. And there was no great oratory, no great skill, no great uh, words that the woman had said. And they even said, we don't, we, now we at first were intrigued by what you said. That's news of what all Jesus can do. But it wasn't until they heard him they believed. And so that's what we're doing. We're bringing people to him so they can believe, so they can hear him. And so, now we're getting to the nobleman. And I think already baked into this story, there at the beginning, is this whole concept of sowing the seed. Because the nobleman heard that Jesus had come. Now here's the second thing that we see about the nobleman. He had this information in his head of who Jesus was. We already know that. But there was nothing in his life causing him to seek Jesus. It was just news. It was just information. Oh, okay, Jesus saves. Jesus came and died upon the cross for my sins, that I might not go to hell, that I might go to heaven. Okay, thank you for the information, and now I'm going to go live my life the way I was. So that's information that we have given the nobleman had information. But what happened in the nobleman's life that caused him to seek Jesus? He reached helplessness. All the advantages of his life, all the advantages of his career, he had everything at his fingertips. He worked so hard to make a name for himself. He had anything that money could buy. He was set up. He had this information, and he went on about his day because this was all there was. There was none else. He obviously had a son that he probably, that we know he loved, took great pride in, had dreams about his son and his son growing up and, and everything. But his son became sick. Now what happened to all those things that were all the solutions for him in his life? He reached a point in his life where none of those things could solve this despair. I imagine this nobleman is in despair. He's in helplessness. I don't know how many of y'all have children, but there's, I remember to this day when, when Mariana, she ran a 105 degree temperature, and I just remember holding her. There was nothing we could do. Nothing we could do. I remember holding her, and it was like holding an oven. She was so, she was hot to touch. And I remember praying, Lord, I, you know, it's just heal her, help her. I remember feeling such a great helplessness that there was nothing I could do that my skills 
in this field could not help. But yet, this was my joy in life. This was why I went to work. This is what I did. I wanted to provide for my family. I love my family. But none of those things that I thought were solutions in my life or would be there for me in my life, none of them helped me. None of them. Not a single one. I was helpless. The situation was helpless. You know, he had, he had that information about Jesus, but what enters his life? Desperation. You know, I had been turning my back on Jesus. I have been turning my back on him. And now I'm in a spot that nobody can cure this. Nobody can heal me. Nobody can bring me back joy. It's just been every day. Uh, we just see the, his attitude towards life had to have changed at this point forward. His world was collapsing on him. And none of the things that he thought mattered matter anymore. Despair sets in. But what happens? We see that little seed start to grow. We see that he seeks Jesus. In verse 47, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him. What is that besought? Seeking. He sought Jesus, that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. We look at the nobleman, and, and many times what you can see are stages of faith. We see a seed sown. We see helpless, helplessness enter into his life. It brings all things into perspective. And we know that that seeking faith that the Lord had, and in verse 47, when he heard that Jesus was come, we know that faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And here in a minute, I don't want to jump ahead, but Jesus tells us what that type of hearing really is, what faith really is. So he heard, and he's coming, and he's searching for Jesus. We see the seeking faith. We, we know that the Lord has that that seed in his heart, and he goes and he tries to find Jesus. He sees the helplessness that he's in. He knows that this man Jesus heals. He knows this man Jesus saves. That's what he was told. You know, and as a parent, I don't know about you, but I can just feel the burning desire of him to go and find Jesus. Uh, Capernaum to uh, Galilee, or Cana of Galilee to Capernaum is 25 miles. So this nobleman walked, that's about eight hour walk. Uh, we don't, I don't think he was walking, I think he was running. So he was running to make it to where Jesus was, and here it says that he besought him, he came into G G Judea, into Galilee, and he went unto him, now, think about this. He loved his son so much. What would provoke a father to leave his dying child all by himself, leave on an eight-hour trip to go find this Jesus? Because he had nowhere else to go. We've already established. He had nowhere else to go. No solution to find. All he could do was go 
and find him. You know, I imagine on this march, on this run, to go find Jesus, his child is at the point of death. I don't think he took a detour, do you? I don't think he, he went to the side and did this. I think he was focused. He had one passion, one desire, one mind. He didn't care if anybody was making fun of him for going to Jesus. He didn't care. He wasn't embarrassed. His whole world was coming apart. He needed to go find him. But because there was no help, there's no help. This life offers no help. You'll find, you may find your life or your, yourself in a helpless situation. There's no help. But look, listen to what the Word of God says in Psalm 46.1. He says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in our time of need. Aren't you glad the Lord helps? Aren't you glad He helps? And in Psalm 40. 17, it says, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. The Lord is our help. You know, at some point in your life, you may also find yourself in a desperate situation where there's no help. Oh, but the Lord. The Lord draws us. The Lord brings us. The Lord may bring you to a helpless situation to seek his help to seek Him only, to stop, to give up on these other solutions, to give up on, on what you think is a, the solution, to just look to Him in faith and trust. Now, the nobleman comes to Him in verse 47. In verse 48, He says, well, actually at the end of verse 47, He says, Jesus, He pleads with Jesus Come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him. This is a very interesting reply. He says, that Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now here's the thing. When we sow the word of God, and we tell people about the salvation of Jesus Christ, we tell people about their soul's danger, their desperate need, the, how their soul's in jeopardy, they're not going to have a perfect understanding of the Word of God. This nobleman didn't have a perfect understanding. He just thought everything was physical. He thought he could go to this miracle worker, and this miracle worker would heal him, and that would be it. But what does Jesus say? You're not seeking me with the right thing. You're seeking me with your eyes. That's what he told him. You're not seeking me with your heart. And that's what he says. Except you see signs and wonders, the faith in the Lord, seeking the Lord, is not a head thing. It's a heart thing. And even in Romans uh, chapter 10, turn there real quickly with me, Romans chapter 10. We had been in Romans in Sunday school and we just got finished with Romans chapter 10. <laughs> what, a, what a beautiful truth. Uh, a nugget here that we see that so many want to come to Christ or approach Christ or seek Christ in the physical. They want immediate verification. They want with their eyes or with a sign or things, you know, do something for me in this physical world. But what does he say in Romans chapter 10, verse 6? But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise 
Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that call is? It's a heart call. That what I just read you is saying the righteousness of faith is not this. It's not physical evidence. It's not a sign. It's not some voyage you have to go to find truth. The truth is nigh thee. It's even in thy heart. It's in your mouth. It's right there for the believing. It's right there. I'm, I'm handing it right to you. The, the Jesus is in your lap right now. It's with your heart. Salvation's of the heart. And that's what the rebuke here is of the nobleman. Except you see signs and wonders, except you see physical evidence, unless, unless you ascend up and bring Christ down, or you go down to the deep and try to bring Christ up, you know, all those uh, people diving for the Titanic, uh, they want to see evidence of the Titanic because this physical evidence gives them a story or it reassures the stories that they've been told. But Jesus, we do, it is not by sight you are saved. Hearing cometh by the word of God, and the word of God is what saves. The Holy Spirit comes. It's that seed. It's that word. So Jesus takes him, and he says, this is a heart hearing. This is a heart hearing. You know, and that's the, the thing that we had also brought up in Romans Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And, and I brought up, and we can bring up, that's what it says. What about deaf people? Think about that. If faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, deaf people can't hear. What kind of hearing is he talking about? He's not talking about hearing with your ears. He's talking about hearing with your heart. The word of God has been communicated to their heart. They hear with their heart. And that's where faith, that's where faith blossoms. That's where that seed starts to grow. Because God has prepared that heart to bring that fruit. So in verse 49, the nobleman saith him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going, down his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. We have seen the stages of faith of the Lord had brought a conviction to him. He had brought a helplessness to him. He had brought a seeking heart to him, seeking only him for salvation, seeking only Christ for joy. But now we see a relying faith, a trusting faith. This has gone from a seeking faith to now a trusting faith. And that's what he says. 
He believed, and the man believed the word. Jesus did not go to his son. Jesus did not walk the 25 miles back to this nobleman's son. This nobleman believed. It was enough that Jesus spoke it, and he trusted in the spoken word of Jesus Christ and the promise of Jesus Christ. Now, what do you think happened to this man's heart when he believed? Oh, it lifted. It lifted. I don't. Th it, it doesn't say that this nobleman's like, okay, you say he's okay? Okay, well, let me rush home. We, we don't see him rush home. I think this man probably took twice as long getting home than he took to get to Jesus. Don't you all? I think he was just strutting home. My boy's going to be okay. That's a relying faith. That's trusting in him. Trusting at the word of his command in Jesus. A lot of people, you know, and I pray for them, and, and there's been times in my life where I've done things, and I'm like, Lord, there's no way I can be saved. You know, there's many people who may doubt their salvation. And I got thinking about that. When we start to doubt our salvation, we need to stop and take a look at where our eyes are. Where are we putting hope of performance in? I mean, and I don't mean to be uh, trivial about that. I know a lot of people struggle with that and have fear with that. I've met a lot of people and I've tried to help them with things like that of uncertainty. But the one thing they all had in common was the way they were at, they, they could only see their own sin. And there's no way, there's no way. They took their eyes off of Jesus and his promise. Of course we need saved. We are sinners. And he has saved us by grace. How much more should we sing hallelujah and praise him that it's by the word of his command, his promise. My hope of glory is in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He said that he has saved me and I know it. I can strut on home to heaven because I'm not in a hurry. I don't have a plan B. The nobleman didn't have a plan B. Let me get on home. Okay, you say that, but I'm going to get on home and, and see if I can find another plan just in case Jesus' plan falls apart. Or when you're saved, there is no plan B. If Jesus' plan falls apart, I'm going to die and go to hell. And I will deserve it. That's the thing. Is it, even if Jesus, even if, if Jesus fails, I still don't have a way to get to heaven. Jesus was the only way. I don't have a way to work into heaven. I'll always fall short of the glory of God. That's why God had to save me. That's why God had to send his perfect son to, to die upon the cross for my sins. Because in me is nothing good. I can give the charity for the next two million years and I will still die in my sins and go to hell. That's why God sent his son. He spared not his son to save me. And he has lifted up his name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. You think the universe is glorious? Wait till you see the glory of Christ. For all eternity in heaven, this great work which he has done. 
He's rescued me. He has saved me. I pray He has saved you. Because here is the thing. If you die in your sins today, you will also die when He turns right before, right at judgment. You'll die a second death. You'll die this death. If you, if you die in your sins today, you will die this death, but you will die a second death. That's what the Word of God says. That He will cast you into a lake of fire. That second death will never end because you need to pay for the penalty of your sins. Oh, He had a relying faith. The nobleman fully believes in the word of Jesus. And verse 51, And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. And I wonder in verse 52 if the nobleman's like, Yeah, I know. <laughs> I wonder if he had just a grin on his face. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew. Now, what kind of faith is this? This is assuring faith. He's gone from seeking faith to relying faith, and now his faith has been assured. He knew. In the, in the uh, which, I'm sorry, it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This is, again, the second miracle that Jesus did. Do we see the spiritual truth in this story of the nobleman? Do we see the stages that the nobleman went through? Do we see that so many ways that's our life? Um, you know, I know many of you may have this already in, in your praying. You see people's lives around you, who you love, that may be falling apart. Their lives are falling apart. It may be someone's marriage. It could, it could be someone's jobs or finances or their health. Things are just falling apart. And you know they need the Lord. You know they need just the infusion of the Lord right into their house. And yet, you know what? We may pray for healing. And we may pray for the Lord to heal our, and help us and heal our marriage or heal this or heal that. Sometimes the Lord may not give you the assurance by sight. But you have the assurance of trusting in the Lord and not leaning on your own understanding. And you know God's on His throne. And you know He is not going to ever forsake you or leave you. Lord, what will you have me to do? Just as Paul had fell down to his knees and the Lord had a work for Paul to do. The Lord may be, at some point in your life, may be getting your attention, showing you that the solution's not out in the world. The solution's Him. And Him back in your home. Or Him, you coming to Him in repentance and faith and asking Him to forgive you of your sins. I tell you, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If you are one of His children today, He loves you. And sometimes that chastisement, it's rough, it's hard. Nobody likes to punish their children. But what does it do? It yields the peaceable fruits, doesn't it? You know, no chastisement for the season, is, it feels good, but it yields peaceable, peaceable fruit in your life. It brings contentment. It brings the joy that you have of salvation. You know, and that's the thing, is if we, it's never too late. Never. The Lord may be calling you 
The Lord's calling you to come on home. Come on home. It's not out there. The joy of the Lord is with Him. He is a help. He is an ever-present help in our time of need. Folks, He's the only help. He's the only one. Now, the Lord may bless you and give you solutions. He, he gives us medicine. He, he gives us, you know, there may be, uh, and there's godly counselors and, and godly, um, you know, wise saints of the Lord you go to for edification and for help. But we seek the Lord for help. And that is what the nobleman did. He saw that there was no solution outside of Jesus Christ. And that's the thing. Once he believed, once he came to that, and he believed with all his heart, all his heart, he was assured of his faith. How many in Hebrews were given the promise but did not eyewitness the fulfillment of that promise? You remember at the end of Hebrews that they had the promise of God? Remember Abraham? That God had promised Abraham a country, but Abraham dwelled in tents his whole life. He never had a permanent place. Even though what he was standing in was not a fulfilled promise of God, he looked forward and toward to that promise. One of these days, our faith will be in sight. One of these, you know, the Lord, we may come to the Lord, help, help. I, I've got this condition. I, I, I need healed. My husband needs healed. My wife needs healed. My marriage needs healed. My, my life needs healed. And we come to him and we have this full assurance of faith and the Lord brings us peace in our hearts. But we may not receive the end of that in sight, just like the nobleman had. The Lord, he had believed the Lord, but God had shown him faith had become sight for him. He assured his faith with the physical. In Hebrews, it talks about, you know, the saints of God. Look at them. They had faith. Yet they were sawn asunder. They were put in sheepskins and goatskins, and they were ripped in half, and they were, they were uh, plunged in the death. They were persecuted. All of these things happening to them in their life. Lord, is this the blessed promise? No, the best is yet to come. That's the promise. It's the hope of the resurrection and eternal life, Jesus Christ our Lord. But right now we have the opportunity where we come, Lord, Lord, I seek you in faith. Seek you in faith. Has the Lord talked to your heart? Has he shown you your need today? Has he shown you that it is all you turn to him? And that's what that, I love that worship song we had. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I pray that you know the Lord is your personal Savior today. And if you don't, we know that the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you and that's me. I'm not special. You're not special. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's a payment that God's going to require of your sin. If you die the day without having your sins forgiven, that you will die in your sins. And God will exact payment from you. Your bill will come due. Your bill will come due. And that payment, according to the word of God, the wages of sin is death. Oh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. But God loved you, and he has sent his son to die in your place, to take your punishment, 
yours and yours alone, not mankind's. He's a personal Savior. Oh, have you, have you felt the weight of the penalty which you owe God? Do you see? Do you have a desperate need in your heart? Are you in despair? Do you see this? That there's no solution in, in the world? Over and over. Over and over. I could have picked 20 other stories and would have spoken the same truth. We're helpless without him. And we will die in our sins if we do not come to him, asking him to forgive us of our sins, believing he died for you. On the third day he arose up out of the grave because Jesus died. Remember, the wages of sin is death. The Son of God died. He died a death. But God did not leave him in the grave to see corruption. Oh, no. We see that he raised him the third day. That he is the, the he, has, he has risen Christ to die no more. Oh, I love that truth. One of these days, that's the hope of the resurrection. One of these days he's going to come. He's going to come with clouds. There's going to be a shout. He's going to come and the, the skies will split open. And he's going to raise us all to die no more. That's what he says in Acts. We will die no more. I hope that you will forever and ever be in glory. If you are going to be in glory, it's because Jesus paid for your sins. That's it. That's the only way. I pray the Lord has richly blessed you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the day. We ask your will to be done in the hearts and the lives. And Father, so many of our loved ones, Lord, we, need, we know that they need you. Father, if we could be a lighthouse, a testimony unto them, Father, that we also go through hard times. But Lord, that, that light that you give us, that hope that we have of glory, that faith that you assure in us, Father, may they see that in our lives and, and then see that we have an answer for the hope that we have that you've given us. Father, that the sweet victory is not in this life. It is the one that you have given us, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray, Father, if there's one here who's lost, Lord, that the seed has been sown in their hearts. Father, we do not know when you will start to affect that or cause the ground to, to be good and bring forth fruit. But Father, we know you're on your throne and you do all things after the counsel of your will. What great grace. Father, what great grace. We thank you, Lord, for those who are here, those who cannot be here. We pray for them too. In Jesus' name.